Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Jessica. Hi, everyone. I'm Jessica, and I am recovering in this program. Hi. Hi. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much, Andrea, for asking me to be here tonight. And to anyone who is new, welcome. And to anyone who's taking chips and celebrating birthdays tonight in this room, welcome. And to all of you who are listening all over the world, congratulations wherever you are. Um, I think every day that I show up and choose recovery is a day to be celebrated. I really do. Um, I've been in this program for seven and a half years now. I came in on September 22nd, 2010, and... uh, I did not want to be here. It it was the suggestion of a therapist. I had hit a really hard bottom like three months prior. And I decided to try like one last pass of of white knuckling and, you know, managing, manipulating, controlling my food, my body, the whole nine yards. And I remember I I I was laying in my bed. I was living in a studio apartment in Hollywood and I was laying in my bed and you know, it had been another night that I was out at a social situation, and, you know, I just couldn't wait to leave so that I could go get my food and bring it home. And I always joke, like, I used to buckle up my food in the passenger seat of my car. Like, that's how important it was to me. Like, it was there, see it on, it's safe. The second we leave the party, we're on. You know, like, I was having very intimate relationships with my food, you know, and, and no one else. Like, my life got really, really small. And... When it was mentioned to me to go to Overeaters Anonymous, I was incredibly insulted. I was really, really insulted. Um, the term was very shameful to me, you know, considering overeating. Like, it was just, it was just very shameful to me. And um, I walked into my first meeting, and I heard a lot about God. This was also an issue for me. Um, I grew up in a very religious family, and... I became a very devout atheist by the time I was in high school. And, you know, I was angry at God even though I didn't believe in one. But I was, like, very, very, very angry. And so coming into the rooms and hearing about a spiritual solution, um, it really freaked me out, you know. But the people were... The people were saying all of these different things that they had done and thought about with their food and their bodies, and I had never, ever heard anybody else talk about this, which is kind of crazy, you know, being that I'm someone that grew up in Los Angeles, um, and this is such a, I believe that culturally our society is so diet and body image obsessed um, that it was kind of crazy that I really hadn't heard anybody else talking about the kind of things that I did to manage, manipulate, and control my body. And I honestly had no idea that I had an eating disorder because when I was in high school and, you know, the counselor came in to talk about anorexia and bulimia, I didn't identify. And so I didn't have an eating disorder. Um, I, I had no idea that 
there are tons of different manifestations of this disease. Um, so finding out, like, finding out that I, I had an eating disorder and that the majority of it centered in my mind, like, these were light bulb moments, like, coming into this program and getting handed the big book. It was, like, holy, like, mind-blown. And it was terrifying and incredibly relieving all at the same time because I knew that there was a solution. I was hearing it. I was seeing it. I knew that there was a solution. And at that point, I was extremely suicidal, you know. And I didn't really, I didn't have plans to kill myself. I just had no purpose for living anymore. And and I was willing, I was willing to get a sponsor. I was willing to get a sponsor and have some conversations. And I was very clear about my issues with God. And the only thing that I was asked was to keep an open mind. That was it. Keep an open mind. And it's so crazy really standing at this podium today and thinking back on seven and a half years ago because (laughs) my recovery is not linear. It's not linear. Like, my experience of being someone who lives a 12-step way of life is that we're not taking the trail straight up to the top of the mountain. Like, it goes in circles, you know. And that I hate that. I hate that so much because I am a result-oriented person. I want to see results. You know, the second I'm uncomfortable, I'm ready to fix it. You know, I have so many bright ideas. You know, I have so many bright ideas. And when I remember how crazy they are, they'll come right back to me, sometimes within 24 hours or sometimes a year and a half later. I'll have the same bright idea, even though I have already experienced, you know, the incomprehensible demoralization that it talks about in the big book of following that bright idea and taking it to the extreme because that's my experience of addiction. It's like 150 miles per hour. Let's go. Um... It just takes what it takes. That's my experience. Like, with every single character defect that I have, it takes what it takes. Um, I even reset my time in this program because of my people-pleasing and codependency and perfectionism. I reset my time, and I recently took it back. And I was terrified to take it back because I was like, oh, my God, these people, what are they going to think if I'm taking... You know, my fear... Fear. Fear is like, it it talks about it, self-centered fear, you know. Um, That is the root of all my troubles. Um, That and my inability to accept reality, like life on life's terms, that's rough, you know. Um, I like to be either high, like high on ecstasy high, or completely numb. Those are my states of preference. And so... Recovering from addiction and making and making the choice, you know, because not, no, who's forcing us to be here, you know, unless, you know, your parents threw you in rehab. And I don't know how often that works, and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Um, but, you know, I came down here, down here, because I literally am picturing the depths of hell, you know. Um, <laughs> You know, it's a very, it's a very, it's a very dark place, but there is light. We come in here and we see light and hear laughter, and it's an incredible thing. And 
you know, what I love about the 12-step programs is that they're just, like, so forthright. The big book is so forthright about being, like, we have no idea, really, at the end of these 164 pages what we're talking about. Like, really, we know that this works, but we have no monopoly on recovery here. You know, and I love that because if the big book and my sponsor were like, you must do this, and this is the only way it works, I'd be like, bye. You know, I don't have time for people telling me what to do. You know, I'm stubborn. And... But the, the really funny thing about that is, at the same time, I want everybody to tell me what to do. You know, at the same exact time, I don't trust myself. I don't trust my mind. I don't trust my body. And so I'm like, what's your abstinence? What's your plan? What's your food plan? What Do you weigh yourself? Do you not weigh yourself? Um, Dr. A, what's your diagnosis? You know, what's your prognosis for diagnosis? Dr. B through Z, what do you guys think about this? You know, and it's um, it's a crazy thing, but what I have to say is that my experience uh, recovering from an eating disorder is that it is a progressive disease. So the disease that I came in here with and got recovery with, it changed two and a half years later. And all of a sudden, I had a new abstinence that I had no idea was severely restrictive for me. And I did it to please a sponsor. And I set out over the course of the next two years compulsively over-exercising without realizing that I was doing it. And that's why it talks about rigorous honesty. It talks about, like, the only thing really required is, is rigorous honesty. And those of us who don't really experience the freedom that's, that's the spiritual awakening that's promised as the result of working all 12 steps, um, it, it, it's... Oh, I, I just lost my train of thought. This is one of the things that happens to me. I get a lot of brain fog because I, I have multiple autoimmune diseases. And this has been part of my recovery, too, is... I didn't know I had those when I came in. And getting getting abstinent and getting sober, and for me, I'm recovering in multiple fellowships. I'm, cross, I'm highly lethally cross-addicted. And what's amazing is just when I think I have control over something, um, I realize I don't. And I have a serious desire for control. And the thing is, it's all an illusion. It's all an illusion. And so the second I got sober in this program and I went to get sober in another program, more was revealed, you know. And then I had to look back over here and go, oh, wow. And so that's why I say when my, when my recovery is not linear, it's this incredible process. But, you know, pain, my experience is that pain is the touchstone of recovery. You know, it's, it is... And that's what, you know, when the Big Book was written, you know, it was written for really low-bottom drunks, you know? And so, and it, and it talks about, like, why, why do we have to go to this really dark place in order to be able to ask for help, you know? Because that's just what it takes. But then, you know, it was rewritten with the spiritual experience, you know, all those different asterisks saying, please, please go see our new chapter, the spiritual experience. And it talks about um, not everybody has this, like, you know, come to Jesus moment with the rays and, like, the, the big thing that enters your heart and all of a sudden you're free. Mine have been of the educational variety that it talks about. Mine have happened little by slow over the course every year, you know. Um, and I have to say, like, 
I, I was chronically ill for four years, like smack dab. And then with three and a half years of abstinence, I became like very chronically ill. And I went to all those doctors I was talking about, A through Z, trying to figure out what was going on with me. And I have to say, many of those doctors, part of their solution was to change my food. And I was like, are you? I'm going to try not to cuss because I've been asked not to. But you can imagine what I was thinking. Like, are you kidding me? I came into recovery. I'm finally actually free of my total and complete self-obsession. I have a program that works. I, I take certain actions that work. I have a food plan and an action plan that works. I have an abstinence that works. And now you're changing the whole game on me. But whether it was that doctor or a chronic illness, like, that was going to happen probably at some other point in wearing a different pair of pants because that's life. My experience is like, <laughs> just when I feel like I have control, life is like, hello, you know, and <laughs> meet me. I'm the next thing, you know. And then I have two choices. Like, the serenity prayer is like, you know, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So I've got two choices, right? I can either accept the things I cannot change or change the things I can, you know? And I need to be able to understand the difference, and that's my problem a lot of the time is I don't understand the difference, you know? Um, and so when I'm... What I can say today is that, like, getting sick, being chronically ill for four years, having no idea what was going on with me, getting to the point where I was so non-functioning, my brain wasn't working, my body stopped working, nobody knew what was going on with me, you know, and taking four years to get to diagnosis and finally being able to, to be functional again, it's crazy that I'm about to say this, but it's the best thing that ever happened to me which is the same thing I said when I came into Overeaters Anonymous, was like, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Because pain is the touchstone of spiritual growth. And who I am as a person today, you know, I really truly believe that I am a spiritual being having a human experience. And everything that I thought I knew has been completely questioned and challenged. And even my, my relationship, I'm in a sober conscious partnership with, with an incredible man, you know, who also works the steps. And he challenges me constantly. And I hate it, you know. <laughs> I cannot get anything past this guy, you know. And, that, and I am, like, real sneaky. Like, I am, you know, very, I'm very, um, I'm like a fox, you know. <laughs> I'm an excellent liar and a thief. You know, I cannot get anything past this guy. And he is my perfect spiritual mate because he challenges me. He holds the mirror up. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have to tell the truth. I have to look at myself. I have to. And that's, that's what we do here. We come in and we're like, oh, I've got a food problem or I can't stop throwing up or I'm addicted to laxatives or I'm over-exercising. I look at my body 56 times a day. You know, um, I'm restricting. I'm dieting. Whatever it is. And we come in here and we realize that that's not the problem. That's just the solution. You know, that is the solution that worked for a very, very, very long time. Thank God. You know, I don't know about you, but... God bless my family. I grew up in a diet-obsessed family, let me tell you. Every single diet, you name it, 
it was in the house, you know, and fat-free, low-fat, this and that, counting the this, the numbers, the program, the shots, coming back from camp and hugging my dad and feeling that he had, you know, a brace of sleepaway camps. I hadn't seen him for two and a half weeks, and all of a sudden he had a brace around his stomach, and I was like, what happened? It was like, Daddy had surgery. Oh, my God. Cancer, no liposuction, you know? And it was like, oh, my God. Okay. And that was another thing in my family. There were so many secrets, you know? It was like just so many, you know, we'll tell you later. You don't need to know now because it's like we probably don't believe that you can deal with reality, you know? And to this day, I have that experience with my family. I had a conversation with my folks last week they were they were uh in europe and <laughs> oh my god it's just so crazy we have this text thread with my sister and my parents and they're in europe and they're you know on their trip and they're sending us pictures you know of them eating you know lobster or in front of this you know building and how cool of a trip they're having and then you know a week and a half later they call me you know and on their ride home from lax and they're like hey 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 we had a great time and uh you know but um you know, so Dad had a fall, and uh, and then they proceeded to tell me the story about how my father fell through a glass shower door, and the whole thing shattered on top of him, and he was rushed to the ER, and they pulled, were pulling, like, blood everywhere, pulling out pieces of glass. Like, I just saw him this past week. He is just, like, completely torn up. And they were like, but she's okay, he's okay. And I'm like, what day did that happen? And I look back at the thread, and it's like, here we are having lobster, you know? And I'm like... And it took me a second to process it, because I don't always process things in real time. And... I was able to call them, you know, because I have a way of living now, because I say, okay, something's not sitting right with me. First of all, I can hear that today because I have this intuitive channel that's open. You know, I have a higher power. I've cleaned out all of the stuff that was haunting me for years through the process of four and five, right? The things I used to wake up with in the middle of the night and, like, night sweats, having nightmares over things that I had done or things that other people did to me. You know, I got to clean all that up. I know what my defects of character are. I've, I've made right my wrongs. I have this process of being able to do it on a daily basis, of cleaning up my side of the street and not over-apologizing because you guys, I love a good apology. I love to apologize because it makes me feel better. And and prayer and meditation. So I got quiet with God, and, and I got to call it my sponsor, you know, um, because because I got sober in this program, I got to work on my intimacy issues in another. And intimacy and vulnerability, like, that's that's terrifying, you know, especially as someone with, like, an eating disorder. Oh, my God. Intimacy and vulnerability? Everything is a distraction from that for me, you know? And I got to call them up and say, hey, Mom and Dad, I'm really kind of hurt that you didn't tell me in real time that that was happening, you know, like... The messages were showing that everything was fine and dandy. And I just want you to know that, like, I am capable of receiving that information in real time. I'm 31 years old, you know. And, yes, I'm mentally ill, but I have tools. I have tools. And a huge support system to help me process really big feelings and difficult information, you know. So can you please trust that I can handle that information? Because, A, I can then be of service to you, and you might be shocked by what I might be able to do for you, you know. 
And B, you're depriving me of the ability to practice in real time what it's like to have parents who are getting older and deal with that if you hide this information from me, you know? And it was like the most remarkable thing happened. My dad was like, you're absolutely right, you know? We will work on that. And my mom was silent, as she typically is, and I got to do the thing where I go, Mom? <laughs> Any thoughts? You know? And she was like, mm-hmm, yes, yes, um, absolutely. And that's what she can do, you know? And learning to love and accept my parents exactly as they are, especially when they're, they're people who have, you know, God bless them, I, the things that I heard coming out of their mouth, particularly in my father, for a lot of growing up, you know, um, there was a lot of fat shaming that came out of my father's mouth. You know, God bless him. He is so terrified of his own body. There was so much fat shaming that I heard growing up. So I have so much internalized fat phobia. You know, I am terrified of my own fat and like thank god you know we have this program today but there's an incredible world that we're living in you know where <laughs> there are people coming out and saying like we don't have to i was gonna cut we don't have to be afraid of fat you know like we can love ourselves exactly as we are because let me tell you something it was really easy to love myself when i came into this program and all the weight came off it was really easy to love myself then. All of a sudden, I found God. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, there, there they is, you know? And then all of a sudden, you know, four years later, I'm still in this program, and I'm working other programs, and I have autoimmune diseases, and I don't know how to eat because five different people think I should eat five different ways, and, and I can't exercise anymore because I can't even go upstairs, and I, I can't drive, and I... You know, I, I can't see without wearing sunglasses because everything's too bright and my body gets larger. But I'm in recovery. What does that mean? You know, my body's getting larger and I can't control that. And it's not my job to fix it, you know. And then I hate myself all over again and I go, I feel like a newcomer. What the hell? I feel like a newcomer. I'm seven and a half years in and I feel like a newcomer. Because all of a sudden, I don't know how to eat again. And I don't know what's happening with my body, you know? And then it's that incredible thing of, like, I do know how to eat. I do. Because God tells me how to eat. And my body actually tells me how to eat. And when I first came in here... You know, I had heard from a few people that I had, like, lost the ability to really rely on my body signals and that kind of thing and lost the ability to rely on my mind. And the truth is there was some truth to that, for sure. When I first came in here, I needed someone to tell me how to eat. I had no connection to God. I had no ability to sit silent. A sponsor challenged me to set a timer for a minute, and I was like, okay, you know, and sit like that, you know, and... I have such a, I have such an addiction to making fill in the blank my higher power, you know, and no one is God but God, you know, and whatever is happening in my life, I can stand here and it's 
if I was looking back seven and a half years ago, looking at who I am today, you know, it would really, it would probably make me vomit in my mouth a little bit, you know, and just be really freaked out, you know, um, and just like, ugh, gross, you know. But today, I actually have a very intimate relationship with a higher power. And I have an intimate relationship with my body that I have trouble being present for. I'll be fully honest. It's very difficult for me to be in dialogue with my body. And although my relationship with my higher power has become really, really strong, it became clear to me that my relationship with my body is just as important to my relationship with my higher power. Because the truth is, my body knows when it's full. My body knows when it's hungry. My body actually does know what food to eat and what not to eat. And sometimes my soul is like, we need to eat this food. And my body's like, I'm not sure about that. And then we make a decision and find out what happens. And it's okay. You know, for me, shame is at the root of addiction. And it has taken years and years of working the steps and experiencing so much joy and happiness and miracles happening in my life. And then, shocker, crap happens. And, oh, God, what do I do now? And readjusting and my spirituality expanding and being willing to throw out everything I think I know. Thank God for the set-aside prayer. That applies to my program. Everything I think I know about Overeaters Anonymous, because before you know it, I've got resentment about the program because that sponsor said to work it like this and that made me insane you know but it's like what I heard earlier today it's like we are all human beings in this room that I know of talk to me after if you're not because um, I want to know more um, what was I saying come on brain um, everything is happening for my highest good like all the time. Everything is happening for my my highest good. This experience of being chronically ill and having to make peace with my eating disorder on a whole nother level has been happening for my highest good. Because I can walk into any doctor's office today and know that I will walk out of there and not make any decisions until I've talked to my higher power about it. You know what I mean? And it's it's the same thing. It's like that pause before saying yes or no. Like, that pause did not come my first four and a half years of program, working the steps more than three times. That pause came from getting incredibly sick and non-functional. You know, the, my character defect of people-pleasing was stripped away when I got severely sick because I didn't have time to say yes to your birthday dinner, you know. I just didn't, I couldn't drive there, you know. And so these skills and these things that I think I'm going to learn a certain way, they happen when they're supposed to happen on God's time and not a minute before that. And that is spirituality to me, you know, is is embracing that, like, thank you so much, um, that every time I make a choice to choose light over darkness, and that doesn't mean that the darkness disappears because I thought that I would get into recovery and the darkness would disappear. And the, the, the thing is, is no, I get reality. I get to feel everything. I get to feel it all. I get to love my partner so much. I get to sit with my cat and 
he's just such an incredible creature, you know, like, what a dude, Bob, he's so cool, you know, I get to have conversations with my parents, I, I get to ride roller coaster, you know, I get to, all the things, I get to feel really angry and not realize it until three months later, because that's what anger is for me, it's so repressed, you know, and I'm like, and I look at my partner, and I'm like, you're so angry, and he's like, you're so passive aggressive, and I'm like, which one's worse, you know, and that's the thing is like oh my gosh like you know nothing's a moral issue anymore everything was a was a moral issue and and it's just not anymore and the second it becomes one here's why the program works I call you and I hear what you have to say and then I take what I like and I leave the rest because you ain't my higher power you know what I mean but God bless you because I might not have thought of that thing on my own and God is speaking through you, you know, whether it's a yes or a no for me. That's the thing. I, I used to think, okay, oh, that magical thing just happened. It must be God. You know what I mean? And it's like, not, not this, yes, but it's an opportunity for you to decide what works for you, you know? I am so empowered today. I am so empowered. I used to have a totally different interpretation of the third step. I used to think that meant that I let go of all my hopes and dreams and plans and visions for my life because God rules all, you know? And no, you know, like, I, I'm i in the passenger seat, you know? Like, God's the captain. I'm the co, and I play a really important part, you know? And I get to turn it over. I get to say, hey, God, I have this thought. And the, the thing is, here's the thing. You know, the answers come when our own house is in order, right? Trust God, clean house, help others. That's what we do here. And I don't like the time frame of, the, of when the answers come. I'm hearing laughter, so I'm assuming you agree. The time frame of when answers come is unacceptable to me. Um, you know, so it's so hard because the amount of sitting with discomfort that has to happen sometimes before all of a sudden the answer comes is very um, displeasing to an addict, you know. But I have very real experience that when I am willing to actually sit with discomfort and not know and not act from a place of urgency and emergency, and I'm talking about from the tiniest decisions to the big life ones, the answers come. They do come. And they come in the form of like, like, I don't know what that was, but that was like a, that was like a tiny, it was like a tiny little voice of like, Jessica, we think that you might want to think about this. And then I say, okay, voice. And then like a day to a week goes by, and then it's a little bit louder or it's totally gone. And that's how I know I follow the voice, you know. And um, I know my time is almost up, but I really want to go back to like this really revolutionary thing of having a relationship with my body, about being in dialogue with my body. Because again, seven and a half years in, and this is the first year that I'm really experiencing um, talking to my body, like putting my hands on my body, grounding myself and saying like, hey body, I'm pissed at you today, you know, because like you're swollen according to me and you know, 
but I know that you're doing things that I like you are running so many things right now that I can't even see so I respect you you know because you're like very very powerful and I just want to let you know that I'm pissed you know and it's like someone said to me like your body's your best friend and like when you're having an argument with your best friend you're like hey best friend I'm pissed about this and then you have it out and you're like but I'm going to forgive you because you're my best friend you know and I have never had my body be my best friend ever and today we're not quite best friends just yet you know but we're you know we're socially dating you know like we're talking we're having discussions and i am telling you guys it is a remarkable experience it is and i couldn't have that without working the steps and i couldn't have that without working the steps in multiple times in multiple areas and that's my truth I don't know, some people just like get it immediately and that that's awesome, you know. And that's real, you know. And that doesn't it does just doesn't mean anything. Like it just doesn't one way or the other, in my opinion, you know. But um my God, to get quiet and talk to my body, which means that we're like we're talking about stuff, you know, instead of me objectifying it. Because that's what my disease does. I literally objectify my body as something separate from me and I make decisions without consulting it. And I did that everywhere in my life. I objectified men, I objectified, you know, jobs, I objectified so many things and today I have had a spirit I have had a complete personality change. Truly. Like that's this program. That's the power of the steps. And I just, I'm so grateful for it. And um, I'm so grateful that I've been taught to share vulnerably. Um, that is a miracle. Thank you. So I'll take questions. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, can you talk a little bit more about, like, empowerment and, like, sitting in the driver's seat and how that looks? Yes, so the question was, talk a little bit more about empowerment and sitting in the passenger seat with God in the driver's seat. Um, well, it doesn't happen automatically for me. It usually, um, it, it, I don't know about you, but I usually have to hit a bottom with something in order to surrender, you know. And it's great because the bottom continues to get raised. But, um, okay, I will cuss just for this purpose. Um, I am a bitch. <laughs> a badass in total control of herself and or his self take what you like leave the rest um, and becoming empowered is a process of learning to trust yourself and for me that comes with being willing to put myself out there and risk rejection because I think if I had to wait to have self-confidence to do things in life, I would never get anything done. And so my truth is that I have the fear. I do my fear inventory, see what it is. And then no matter what, I do the thing anyway, no matter how terrified I am. And if that means I have to commit it to two people and talk about how freaked out I am on three phone calls or whatever it is, I do the thing. And then what usually happens is after I've done the thing, I, I haven't died. I've survived it. And 
I have a whole different sense of myself because A, all of a sudden I've developed some self-esteem because I actually did the thing that I didn't think I could do and I survived it. B, the response is generally shockingly fabulous, you know what I mean, or not what I thought it would be. And C, if it was rejection, I survived it and it sent me in the right direction. So that experience of actually taking a risk and risking what I fear the most in the world, which is which is total rejection and that my my my... It's true. I'm horrible. Nobody loves me. I'm unwanted, unloved, and alone. You know, when I take that risk and it's not true, you know, or it, it is true in that case, but it's actually not because it's just a projection is just a preference. You know, it has actually nothing to do with me. Then I become empowered because I see that, um, you know, I have recovery from codependency, you know. I don't need anyone to actually validate me. And that only comes for me from, it's great in theory. But, you know, faith without works is dead. Right? Thank you very much.